Welcome to part two of our interview with Ian Ogilvie, A Life in the Theater. After Rada, you, you almost immediately start working in repertory theater, right? Mm-hmm. And you kind of have... Talk about doing repertory theater and learning those lines. Mm-hmm. You did a new show every week, right? Was every it, two weeks. Every two weeks. Yes. Uh, th- it's very sad. That system is gone now. Mm-hmm. But in, when I was a young actor, every decent-sized town in England had its, uh, had its theater and its repertory company. And uh, in the old days, they used to do weekly repertory, a new play every two weeks. By the time I got to it, it was two weekly rep, which is doable. I mean, weekly rep, you can hardly learn the lines. But two weekly rep, it, it is just about possible to do. And of course, what you're doing is you're rehearsing from nine o'clock in the morning till five o'clock in the afternoon. You're running out and having a quick bite of tweeter in a cafe, and then you're doing the show that you rehearsed the previous two weeks. So it's a long, 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 long day, and it takes a lot out of you. And, but it's a wonderful training for a young actor. You would rehearse all day and then do the shows at night. Do the show. Do the show that you had that, that, that had opened. Right. Yes, yeah. yes. So you're rehearsing the new show, the next show. Right. Yeah. So yeah. you get two shows going on at once. In, no, your mi- in your mind. In your mind, you have. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you're, you're trying to remember the lines that you're rehearsing, and you're trying to remember the lines. At night. Did, did a line from the show you're rehearsing ever come no, out? Then? <laughs> that's a very strange thing, and you know, you should know as an actor so you, that that never happens. It's yeah. weird. But it, you, there's a separation, a division. It doesn't actually happen, no. I mean, things things always went wrong, of course, because there was so little time to do it. But uh, <laughs> it was wonderful training. It was also it was also a very easy creator of very bad habits. Mm-hmm. You know, you could learn um, that there were certain things you could do that would get a, an easy laugh, you know, or certain poses you did. So some sometimes a long time in repertory theatre, you could come away with some bad habits. But mm. but on the whole, it was the best training in the world. All that's now gone, unfortunately. Those theatres yeah. are not closed, but they're now touring theatres. Mm. The repertory companies have gone. They've gone for a long time ago. But it was a wonderful training and. Um, I, I, I loved it. I thought it had a wonderful time. But, so I, I want to get your opinion on this, because we were kind of discussing this before the show. Some believe in endless education of acting, but some believe the best education is just go out, maybe do a two-year program and go out and do it. What, what are your thoughts on that? Do you, I, I think the second one is correct. Mm-hmm. Even our, even our uh, instructors at RADA used to say, you'll learn more in your first week of, un- of, of employment mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in a play or a movie or something. You'll probably learn more in that first week than you learned in the two years you spent at the academy. They said that to us at RADA. Right. I, would, I would argue you could say that to any drama student, but that doesn't negate the value of what you learn at the drama school because mm-hmm. what you learn, I think, at the drama school gives you a kind of rock, a, a foundation, vocal foundation, physical foundation, and also, you have had an enormous amount of practice of, of doing lots of different roles of different parts, some right. suitable to you. It's the most wonderful training. But it is true that, that, that once you enter the profession, all of a sudden, somebody's paying you money to do this. You <laughs> right. Incentivizes uh, uh, it a little so, bit. So much <laughs> yeah. incentive to get I think it right just there. the responsibility, all of a sudden, you start learning really, really fast. It's not that you learn anything different. It's just that the experience gives you... a a more profound understanding of what it is you've done for the last two or three years. It's like life experience. Yeah, you learn exactly. you, just, yeah. just, just from doing. Mm. Just right. from doing constantly. And uh, so, But then you landed Come Blow Your Horn with the, the famed Nigel Hawthorne. He wasn't famed at this point. No, he, he wasn't. He was just, so. you know, he was struggling yeah. like the rest of 
yes. everybody else. Yeah, uh, Nigel Hawthorne, and you have a funny story about. I do. Well, it is quite. <laughs> yes. So two weekly wrap, right? So by the end of the first week, you wouldn't think it, but at the end of the first week, a lot of actors are bored by now. Mm. I want to get on with the new play. Mm. So by the end of the first week, I was a little bit bored. I was playing the young brother. Nigel Hawthorne was playing the older brother in this American play by Neil Simon called Come Blow Your Home. And my line, he said, where have you been? And my line was, I went downstairs to get a sandwich. So today, that day, I thought, I know, I'll make him laugh. So he said, where have you been? And I said, I went downstairs to get a peanut butter sandwich. And instead of going and just smiling and laughing and carrying on, Nigel Hawthorne just stopped. He said, a what? <laughs> I said, uh, a peanut butter sandwich. He said, a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> so this peanut butter sandwich, uh, was it smooth or crunchy? And I went, um, I, it was smooth. Could we move on? He went, no. <laughs> no, no. I want to know more about this peanut butter sandwich. So you always used to like it smooth. Now you like it crunchy. Does mom know? <laughs> I went, no. Um, he said, so, okay, so where this peanut butter, where did you go for this peanut butter sandwich? I said, um, uh, Jack's place? <laughs> he went, don't lie to me, kid. Jack's place has been closed for the last two years. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no. <laughs> At which point, somewhere on the line, he let me off the hook. He let me <laughs> And afterwards, he said, you won't do that again, will you? <laughs> and it was a very, very good lesson. It sounds mean, and it wasn't mean at no, all. No, not it at was all. Very, it was just teaching a young actor a to teach screw about, because I'm better at it than you are. You mm -hmm. know? <laughs> I've done this a day or two longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it was a very good lesson, but it was pretty funny at the time. So that was an uh, that was an American comedy. Yes. Right? Okay. What do you think is the main difference? Well, you hear you hear actors all the time going, "Oh, well, they can't pull that off because they're not British." That's British comedy. Mm. Uh, what 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 do you feel the difference is? I, I find this a very good question and a very and I will I would I want to talk briefly also about Alan Aitborn. We do a lot of oh, Alan Aitborn at the Academy, and we do a lot of Neil <laughs> Simon at the Academy. And the two are the two great comedy masters of the 20th century uh, of writing and prolific beyond belief. They both wrote tons and tons of plays. I've directed both Neil Simon at the Academy and I've also directed Aikborn. And weirdly, and I'm talking about American actors, Aikborn is easier. And the reason is this, is Neil Simon's comedy relies almost entirely on one-liner gags, one-liner jokes. In that play, for instance, Come Blow Your Horn, I come in with a very snazzy jacket, and my brother says, I like the lining, what's the jacket like? You know, lines like that, Neil Simon was a master at. Set up, knock them down. Set, set up, up, knock them down, down, set up, knock them down. It looks very easy to do. Actually, it's very hard to do that stuff and make it real. Very, very difficult indeed. Aikborn hardly ever writes any of those. Aikborn writes situations which you laugh at, and uh, he doesn't write jokes. They're both wonderfully funny writers, but there's a completely different style. And to do the Neil Simon stuff, I think takes a little bit of experience. Mm. And to do Aikborn requires less. So <laughs> I think on the whole, Americans find Aikborn, they find them both wonderful and mm -hmm. fun to do. And I think English actors are, can do Neil Simon, and I think American actors can do Alan Aikborn. I don't think okay. it makes a difference. You really don't feel right. that difference at all? No. no. Well, that's nice to know. Yeah. Wait, would you, so. so Going off that, with Neil Simon, you have to have that comic timing. You have mm. to understand the rhythm of it. Do you think that's something people can learn, or do you think it's something they're born with? Obviously, the greats are born with something. Yeah. 
I, I think most of us learn it from experience mm. and listening to other people doing it. You know, if you're doing a Neil Simon play with someone like Nigel Hawthorne, you, you learn you learn how to do it fairly fast. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, yeah. And other people like that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I was a great expert at it, but I think by the time I got to it, I'd done how many... By the time I got to that play, I'd been in repertory theatre for what, probably mm. about a year, and in that year, I'd done a play every two weeks. Let you work it out. That's yeah. like 25 plays. Yeah. By then, I was exhausted, but I was, <laughs> was beginning to know a little bit about how these things worked, you know? Well, because you were yeah. living and breathing it. It's living like and a, breathing uh, it, yeah. Again, it's, we say this, this is like the third time we said it. Acting is a, it's a lifestyle. Yeah. It's yeah. not something that you just yeah. do. You yeah. do it with everything you have. Yeah, and right. you learn all your, all through your life. You learn, you really do. You learn all through your life. I've only just learned how to do a film acting. Hmm. I'm a very old man, and I've only recently learned how to do it. There See, you go. I'm quite serious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, do tell what? what well, what, it is to do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my great my great mistake all the way through my television and film acting was I would act. Hmm. So. Terrible idea. You must never do it. Never do that on film. Or well, that's what Jack Nicholson says. The hardest thing to learn is to be still. Yes, be still and just and don't make faces. <laughs> Let them just make the faces for you. You know. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm yeah. starting a class. But I'm starting a class. Starting a class. Joe Garcia's face yeah. making yeah. class. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Get well, really good at it. you're going to have a total of no students. <laughs> so, but before we move on to film, your first West End production, you landed. With very another famous actor, Trevor Howard, mm. who got a little cheeky one night. <laughs> <laughs> Trevor, I, I don't know if everybody remembers Trevor Howard anymore, I, but, I, I but do, he but was yeah. a, a quite—he was a great English star. And uh, um, good heavens, he played Captain Bly opposite the uh, the, the Christian Fletcher Christian of Mel Gibson. You know, he was mm. a big movie star, and hadn't done play a play for a very long time. He also had the reputation of being a massive drunk. No intelligent uh, film director would work with Trevor Howard after lunch. There was no point, because hmm. he would be drunk. But we did a play called The, uh, uh, the Watts of the Torridors by Jean Ennui, and um, Trevor was mag magic. He was wonderful in the role, uh, playing an old general. I played his secretary, and uh, he was lovely. And he'd learned his lines, and he behaved himself immaculately, and we had a big hit on our hands. It was a lovely, beautiful theatre, the Theatre Royal in the Haymarket. And uh, one night, the management came around and they said, we think Trevor might have had a drink or two. We think. We said, why would you think that? They said, well, he's trying to put his right foot into his left shoe and, um, oh. and, his, and, his, and his jacket pocket is full of ginger ale bottles, Schweppes ginger ale bottles, but actually it's whiskey. So we, we think he might have had a drink or two. So um, naturally, on this particular night, all the cast were in the wings looking on, at the stage for the curtain up, which... The curtain up was Trevor Howard sitting alone behind a huge desk in his study. And there he was on the stage, looking perfectly fine to us. And the curtain rose, and the lights came up, and Trevor Howard looked out at the audience. He went, fuck off! <laughs> <laughs> and quite a lot of people did. You could hear the seats slamming, you know. You know. <laughs> And he didn't really get any better. And I, and I had the most, I was his secretary, so I'm on stage with him all the time. And he'd look at me like an owl, and he'd go, what? And I'd say, ah, sir, sir, what you meant to say was, and then I would do his speech for him. Being a young actor, I actually knew his part, his role, and I would do his whole speech for him. And when he got to the end of it, he'd go, that was, that was bloody good, do that again. <laughs> 
It was an it was an absolute <laughs> nightmare. What a complete and, nightmare. And um, we somehow got through it. I think mm. I think there are about twenty people left in the auditorium by the by the end of it, including my then wife, who said she wouldn't have missed that for the world. <laughs> and the next day, the old boy came in. He said, it "Went quite well last night, didn't it?" And he had no idea what he'd done. So he was he had destroyed the play on stage. He was uh, completely destroyed it. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So, so how, <laughs> and maybe this also comes with experience, how do you deal with a rebunctious actor that's out of control? What, what, with me, I can't fathom that because I'd immediately get into my head and try to yeah. figure it out, which is hard to be free Well, I mean, when you're, when you're faced with a drunk actor, either the play stops or, or you somehow get through it. Like I would say it's part for him, really, you know. When I wasn't on, I don't quite know what happened. I just <laughs> yes. go, I would just go and wipe the sweat off man, you know, and hope he would, you know. It was bizarre. It was bizarre. English actors have a reputation for being drunks, you know. Right. I mean, most of us are, well, not most of us, but we, <laughs> a lot of English actors are drunks, you know. Right. Some of the greats are drunk. Peter yeah. O'Toole is a notorious drunk. Show up on, yeah, on the yeah, Richard, Richard Harris Burton I worked with. Was Harris. They, would, great, yeah. they would disappear on offset, mm. and they mm. would have to go find them, yeah. and they'd find them under tables yeah. and bars and... Yeah, but they were they were so good. They, they were, well, they, they were. were yeah, I mean, it was Dickens, of course, in Nicholas mm. Nickleby. Dickens writes about the famous drunk actor uh, in the in, in the in the acting troupe that Nicholas joins. Uh, it, mm. it was all a kind of tradition, really, you know. And, yeah. and American actors do not see any humor in this no. at all. And quite no. right too. It's very unprofessional and awful, and we shouldn't. We, we shouldn't be happy. <laughs> no, it's probably so, not bringing the play to a screeching halt. No, yeah. I mean, and, yeah. you know, but, but but he was such a star. I think he thought he could get away with it. Oddly, there was one scene he had with the great Coral Brown, the Australian actress, who's a very frightening woman, but wonderful actress. Um, and 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 he had one big scene with her. And that scene, he never put a foot wrong. He was terrified of Carl, <laughs> and he didn't put a foot wrong with her. But but he finished with her. He'd come back, and you go, so what? What? Go on. <laughs> then he would invite you to do his lines for him. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> so along with this with this great learning experience. Yes. And being in the theater for as long as you have. Yes. You took it, over. It was a learning experience. <laughs> yeah, sure it was. <laughs> you took over for a. For uh, the great Alan Bates, yeah, uh, in uh, Simon Gray play uh, Stage Struck, how did this change things for you, as far as your career goes? What, um, that was and one. Of the, why? Uh, yes, that, that was when I came back to the theatre after a, a stint in television and, mm -hmm. and movies, and uh, I'd, I saw Alan. Obviously, I went to see Alan in it, and I thought, oh yeah, I'd like to do that. It's a fun role. It's a fun part. And um, so I had like. 10 days to rehearse it or something, two weeks, 10 days. So you come in knowing your lines? It's best to do yeah. that. <laughs> oh, of course, you have got the set, all the props. You, uh, a stage manager knows exactly where everything's supposed to happen. So it's a little bit easier than starting from scratch mm. when you go into a, a, an existing play. And I'd been doing it for a little bit, and then Simon Gray, the, right, the author, came to watch a rehearsal. And after he said, Ian, what are you doing? And I said, oh, don't you like what I'm doing? He said, no. I said, what do you want me to change? He said, why are you doing it like Alan Bates? I said, is, it, is Alan Bates not a rather good person to copy? <laughs> he went, not in these circumstances. And of course, Simon Gray had written, Alan Bates starred in nearly all Simon Gray's plays. He was Alan, he, he was, Alan Bates was Simon Gray's go-to guy. 
And he explained to me, he said, I didn't want Alan. In he said, this play I wrote, he said, it was the first time I didn't particularly want Alan to do it. I didn't think Alan was right for it. But I gave it to him because he's my oldest friend. And I went, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Because you don't say no to Alan Bates. You know? hmm. right. He said, but I don't think he was, I don't think he, he's not doing it the way I wrote it. I said, it's awfully good. And he gets a lot of laughs. And he went, oh, all right. And I, of course, I did it the way Alan Bates did it. I didn't, I didn't obey my, my, my mm -hmm. author. Because I just thought Alan was terribly funny in it. And I thought, why not do it like that? Also, it was a very showy way of doing it. And that was one of the ways where I suddenly thought to myself, I've got to pull something out of the hat here. So right. I was as camp and as large and as ridiculous as, as Alan was. And that's, that, I think, worked. I think it worked. Anyway. Right. And, and so you, oh, sorry, no, go you, ahead, please. You sure? No, absolutely. I don't no, wanna, by all means. Okay. Hey, <laughs> but you you then befriended Simon Gray from there, right? And then you worked with the great Harold Pinter. Yes. As a director. Yeah, as a director. And there were no jokes with him. Well, he, <laughs> there weren't at the beginning, because he'd just given up smoking and he was very tense. Mm. Harold was. Uh, a lot of people don't know about Harold Pinter. They just think he was a playwright. Harold Pinter started as an actor, quite a good one too, um, and then did a lot of directing and, and of course was most famous as being a playwright. But uh, he directed a lot of Simon Gray's plays. And uh, um, in fact, this is the only play I ever did. It's called The Common Pursuit. It's the only part that I created. I've always done revivals of, of mm. other people's plays, or, uh, but I've never created a part. This is the only one I've ever done. Um, and Harold Pinter directed it. And he'd just given up smoking, so it was a bit tense. And finally, a member of our company called Simon Williams, who's a great friend of mine, Simon, after about two weeks rehearsal, he said, look, I'm sorry, Harold. He said, it's like working in Chartres Cathedral here. He said, it's so gloomy and so serious. Can't we have a few jokes? And, and Harold went, oh, I'm terribly sorry. Yes, of course. Okay, maybe I, it is a bit gloomy. Let's all have more fun, shall we? So that was nice, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. He's a very good director, Harold, by is the way. He? he was a wonderful director. Yeah. I, I, I had no idea. I mean, I love his plays. I had mm. no idea he was a... And he's a wonderful he's a actor, actor, too. Mm. As a young man, yeah. Mm. Do you want to oh, go now? No, where are we going with this? <laughs> <laughs> he gets a little grumpy sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Not grumpy. It's going. Ah! Thank you. I just want to. I just want to tell you this because real quick, because I don't know if you know this, but um, I also did Three Sisters at the Academy, and uh, I know you were in it in the West End, right? <clears throat> Excuse yeah. me, right? Yeah. Mm. Uh, but the the version we use at the Academy has your name in it. Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. I, I was going through. Yeah. You know, movie. Uh, he, he well, works well right. I suppose in, when, when I just said I created a role, <laughs> of course, I didn't create the role of Vashinin, but I right. was the first person to do Michael Frayn's translation. Hmm. And I don't know if you agree with me, but I think it's a wonderful translation. It, yeah, it's, it's, it was, it was you know, I mean, very because easy it, to... it used to be the thing when you were doing Cheko was, was if you didn't like your line, you'd go off and look at somebody else's yeah. translation and see, may I use that instead? Mm -hmm. And on our first rehearsal, the great Michael Frayn, who's a wonderful playwright in his own right, came in and he said, look, I'd be very grateful if nobody did that. I really would love it for you to say my lines for two reasons. First of all, I'm a fluent Russian speaker, so I know the language. He said, secondly, I'm also, as you may know, I'm a playwright. He said, quite often translators are just translators and most of them are not playwrights. He said, I've tried to bring this play to life by using vernacular and, and not to try and change the Russian element too much. But at the same time, I've written it 
as a play. Hmm. He said, I think I, I spent more time doing it than Chekhov did writing it originally. So he said, I'd be very grateful if you'd actually say my lines and nobody else's. So we did. So I <laughs> yeah. did, in a way, create a role, I suppose. But it, it, a new tra- it was a new translation. For- did you play Vashinin? I played Kaligan. Right. right. It, it was a little bit of a stretch for me. They wanted to give yes. me something outside of my... It's always good to do stretches. No, I've never played a cuckold. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. my first time. Who was my last? Well, well yeah. the great C- the great Celia Johnson, who worked with Trevor Howard in the movie A Brief Encounter, hmm. great Celia Johnson was one of the most wonderful actresses of her day. And as a very young actress, she came out of RADA. Um, and in those days, RADA was pretty much a finishing school in the sense that in a class of 20, there were 18 girls and two men. That was the ratio uh, at that time in the 1920s. And so girls played all sorts of parts. Yeah, Life's for the guys. And Celia Johnson had an interview with the casting director. And the casting director said, Miss Johnson, is there any sort of area where you don't feel very confident? She said, well, I don't think I'm very good at old men. As though she would ever be asked to play an old man. But she had been playing old men at the academy, of course, you know. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's such a stretch, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you also did... Um, one of the things I find funny in the book is when you talk about your charity events, because they're just star-studded, mm. and and so you I mean you worked with like Peter O'Toole and and the, it was just a raunchous time, right? Yes, the, I didn't really work with those people. You know? right. I mean, I appeared on the same stage. With mm. them. These enormous charity things were sometimes put on to raise a lot of money, and they were called things like Night of a Hundred Stars and things like mm-hmm. that. And <clears throat> the most fun one we ever did was a production of Cinderella like a full-on English panto Christmas show, Cinderella, with songs and dances and fabulous costumes and all the rest of it. And it had an all-star cast. Um, I was Dandini, the, uh, the Prince Charming's best friend. Um, the woman from uh, Absolutely Fabulous, Joanna Lumley, oh, yes. played Prince yes. Charming. Love her. Uh, yeah. um, and Peter O'Toole played a herald. All Peter O'Toole had to do was come on and, and somebody would say... It, is the king coming? And he would say, yes, my lord. That's all he had to do. That was the idea. You get big stars just doing one line. Mm-hmm. Of course, Peter O'Toole, being Peter O'Toole, comes on. Is the king coming? No, he's nowhere to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> so we all have to deal with that, too. <laughs> Who knows where he is? Yeah. These, these seemed like they were a fun time. But one actually did lead to uh, Noel Coward's life partner, uh, uh, Graham Payne, yes. seeing you and deciding that he was going to put you in a no Coward yes, play. Yes, yes. Uh, yes, we did an evening of Noel Coward's songs and dances and, uh, for charity, quite mm. a short piece called Noel and Gertie about Noel Coward's relationship with Gertie Lawrence, Gertrude Lawrence, who was one of his, leading, his main leading ladies. And uh, as you said, Graham Payne, who was Noel Coward's lifelong partner, came to see it. And he thought that Mariah Aitken and I were good at it. So he said, I think you two should do Design for Living, which is one of Noel Coward's more difficult players, really. And he kind of held it for us. He didn't produce it, but he held it for us and suggested it. And eventually we did a really, really glittery production of it in, in London, yes. It's a, it's a weird play. I don't know if anybody knows Design for Living. It's not done very often now. Mm. Um, it, it's more fun to do than it is to watch, I think, frankly. You know. <laughs> uh, but it was good. It was, it was a good time, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to take one? You just want me to just... I would just, I would just, I would just watch it. <laughs> You're doing such a, such a, a bang-up job well, uh, here. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm ready I'll to move it, to John, film and TV. I'm ready to move. <laughs> no, to film I know TV. you are, but uh, but theater is where the actor's heart is. Well, of course it is. Um, but so, it. but then uh, you also toured in the middle and far east with uh, one of my favorite shows, and I, I've done Paul before. Is Barefoot? Have Park. you? I have. I love. So that you one. and I have, done, have, have we've shared several roles here. We have, haven't we, yeah. yeah, it is a good part, Paul, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah, because when I think of you, I think of Ian. Well, that's, that's a great comment. <laughs> oh, you're being... He's better than me. I have to say, one of the things I do sometimes say to cast, and it's absolutely true, and I'm not looking for compliment, is I'm stunned by how good some of the Academy cast members are, particularly, obviously, in company, because it's got through to that stage. Yeah, but also, generally speaking, the standard. And I, I often say to them, you're all so much better than I was when I was at RAD. I swear to God, and it's not calling for compliments. I just, I just think, yeah, you already are much further along the line than I was then. You know? I, I, I think the reason behind that is because they have so much more to draw from. Than yes, we maybe. did when we started. You yeah. know what I mean? They have they have television. They've got the internet. They've got all this, yeah. all this, 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 this. We also have youth program. Um, you know, my high school had a huge drama department. And I did I did uh, high school drama. And right. That's, and a lot of people don't have that stage foundation no, when they come no. out to LA. And I was very fortunate to have that. Yeah. Thank you, Miss Patty. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. she will watch this. Because, yeah. You know. No, I think that's right. I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, I, th- I think they're just exposed to a lot more mm-hmm. than we were at that mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the f- funny things that happened to you while on this tour was that you found some fans of yours. <laughs> <laughs> it was bizarre. Well, yes, I'd done a TV show, which had been quite popular in England, but not really anywhere else. And uh, I was in uh, Dubai and in a bus, and we were going across the desert to go and visit a Bedouin fort on our, one of our days off. Uh, we were doing uh, um, Barefoot in the Park. And uh, we stopped at this village, a little Arab village of just sort of really mud huts, not much else, and a stream running through it. And the stream had di- been diverted into a big concrete trough, which was the, which was the, the, the communal bath room, uh, for men only, of course. Yeah. And there were these men sitting in the bath. And we walked by, and we you know, bowed and said hello, and all that it. And, and suddenly, one of them looked up and went, Saint! This <laughs> Saint was a, was a part I played on television. So in the middle of Arabia, in the middle of nowhere, in a desert, I got recognized by somebody, <laughs> which is the oddest thing. And the, the producer who was there with us at the moment, the producer of the play, he dined out on that for, for a long time. It's just bizarre to him that they had somehow got a television set and somehow had seen this program. I don't know. You, you get on television. Yeah, I know. You get on television. <laughs> and and, and, and they, the they see it everywhere. And, um, and then you, you came to America later on and, and continue to do theater here. One of the sad things, though, that kind of happened is you, you had a, a little bit of a nervous breakdown. Yeah. Mm. And you had to walk away from the stage. Yes. Right? I did. I did. This happened in England. Um, and I had been suffering from a progressive kind of stage fright for a number of years. It started when I did My Fair Lady, playing Henry Higgins up at San Jose, the musical theater of San Jose, which is a 2,000-seat auditorium. It's enormous. They put on the most lavish and incredible productions. We used the original touring set of My Fair Lady. Henry Higgins is a massive part. All his songs are just lists of adjectives, so it's a nightmarishly difficult to learn. and I did start having some stage fright. I mean, I did it, and I got through it. And, and each time I did a play after that, I would always feel slightly sick, as though I had got some kind of low-grade flu. I sometimes felt as I was going to faint on the stage as well. 
And of course, this was a form of stage fright. And, and the last thing I did in the theatre was in England. It was a, a three-hander called Dangerous Obsession by a writer called N.J. Chris. Rather good play. And I, I was getting rather odd, apparently. The, the cast told me afterwards that I was getting more and more weird as the, as the tour. It was a tour. I'm going all over England with it. And one night, I, um, I was sitting in my dressing room, and this is after about seven weeks of playing this play. And I, I suddenly thought, what's, the, what's my first line? It didn't come. I couldn't think what my first line was. So I thought, this is silly. It's just because I've said it so often. It's, a, it's an odd thing about the theatres that when you're in a very long run, sometimes, sometimes this can happen. It's just familiarity, over-familiarity. So I thought, it's no problem. I, I'll just go to the stage. I didn't have a script in my dressing room. I go to the stage manager's corner and look at her prompt script. So I did, and I opened the play, and I looked at the first page, and a completely strange play looked up at me, one I had never read before. Oh. And I thought, <clears throat> okay, there's something horribly wrong. There's something seriously wrong. I thought, I know what, it'll be okay, Dr. Theatre. Dr. Theatre will take over. It always does. You feel awful sometimes, you feel the flu, you feel dreadful, but you get on that stage and it all goes away. This right, is, you, right. you, we've all experienced this. I thought, it'll be fine. But it wasn't. It wasn't. I knock on the door, the lady opens the door, she looks at me and I open my mouth and absolutely nothing comes out. And embarrassingly, I start sobbing. Oh, horrifying. <laughs> yes. And, and uh, oh, I, I stagger away. Actor, yeah. What? That's the nightmare of every actor. Yes, it is. Yeah. It is. It is. And, uh, <clears throat> and the two lovely ambulance people came, and I'm sitting there, and they went, Oh, it's a saint. Thanks a bunch, guys. Anyway, they took me off to a very nice doctor uh, who was still working at 11 o'clock at night. And he said, you obviously have had a little breakdown. You've had a little crisis, you know. I said, I think it's a big one. He said, no, a big one, you'd be calling it all. He said, it's a small one. He said, but you might like to think of not actually doing this for a bit. I said, are you telling me I don't have to go on stage again? He said, no, if you don't want to, no, I'll give you a note. <laughs> <laughs> so I've not actually been back on the stage since. Mm. And I'd like to. I think it's time I did. The same thing happened to the great Ian Holm, who died recently. You know, who's mm -hmm. Bilbo in, in, yeah. in yeah. Lord of the Rings. Um, he was doing The Iceman Cometh, and he'd done it for a few weeks, and suddenly, suddenly just turned and ran off the stage. As the newspaper man said later, The Iceman goeth. And he said it was just too much, I couldn't take it anymore. But then 20 years later, he went back on stage and everything was fine. I think I would, I think I would like to do it again, but I wouldn't want a great lead. I'd like a nice little cameo. Yeah, part, I, you know? and, and I think yeah. we've all gone through that because I know myself, I, I find myself, I've been on stage before, and then just before going on, I'll ask myself completely not an actor thought at all, mm. but the question I'll say, what's stopping me from just not going on? Yes. What's well, stopping me from just those, hitting the road? It's yeah. those, and I don't know what that is. It's like 40 to 90 seconds right before you go on, you're, you just, you're so yeah. nervous and you're like, why in the hell do I do this to myself every, like all the yeah. time? Like what, what's what's? Then you walk out on stage and the doctor, yeah, well, as you say, doctor theater. Doctor theater takes over. Doctor theater, and, and, and also I think it brings you alive. I mean, that's why mm -hmm. actors are, are. I think more, we're more alive than sometimes than some people. And you don't experience yeah. this on a film set? No, no. 
Well, I mean, you're a little bit nervous. Yes, right. you're a bit nervous, but first of all, you can do it as many times as you want. <laughs> and you know there's a yeah. stopping point for each there's scene. Nobody, yeah. There's not a sea of faces out there that you're right. going to immediately mm-hmm. disappoint. You might disappoint your director, you might disappoint the lighting cameraman, you might disappoint your fellow actor a bit. But I mean, you Don't know. Don't just do it again. Yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. And if you t- we talked about it earlier with if you're a lead, especially if you're in something like Barefoot in the Park where there's only four people, yeah. you you got to essentially help carry the show. Yes. And if, if you're falling down one night, then yeah. it's the show's going to fall down yeah. just out of the nature of the show. Yeah. That's but, um, a, uh, yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I, I want to see you on the stage again <laughs> soon. I'd love to see that because you would, you would stand in sometimes on importance of being earnest. And Mason and I would text, just go, he's just so good. Like he just, he's just reading. It's like <laughs> dripping. Well, I'd done it before, yeah. remember, too. Right. <laughs> I, mean, I knew the play pretty well. I, I, do, I do know the play terribly, terribly well. I mean, I don't know why. It's one of those plays you just know. I mean, I can quote great chunks of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.